Hey, I have a quick giveaway I want to do before I get into the message tonight. This is for Anisha. Come on up here, Anisha. Come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Look at her t-shirt. Doesn't she look great? There you go. Come on, that's good. I like that. All right, come on. When I came in for the service, she was coming down the, the side. We looked at each other. We were like, oh, that's great. So, hey, uh, two, two more quick things. One is that... Uh, for Praxis 9, Amy was talking about auditing the class, but I've just had such a sense all week that it's not too late if you're supposed to be a part of the program. So I've, I've just been believing God all year that we, this was going to be our first year with 10 interns. And we've got eight, and then two of you in here are supposed to sign up. <laughs> So I'm not kidding. I just had all week. I've had such a sense that it wasn't. It's not a planned announcement, but I've just had such a sense, especially today, that that somebody, maybe two people here, you've just God's been speaking to you about it. You know you're supposed to do it, and you've been telling him no, and just say yes to him. Say yes to him. And so it, it could be that you have a bias because most church internship programs are preparing you for vocational ministry. And that may be what happens to you coming out of ours, but that's not what ours is designed for. Ours is designed for you to be in the marketplace. It's about leadership and discipleship so that you can go into the marketplace and have the impact that you're supposed to have. So if you're interested, if, if, that, if you just have questions, Jamal, raise your hand. There's Jamal. And Monica in the back, raise your hand. Monica was up here helping to lead work. Uh, they help with that program so you can see them. Amy's actually working in the nursery, so don't go talk to her because she's got her hands full back there. So, uh, But if, if that speaks to your heart, if you're one of those people, come on, it's not too late. It's not too late. So um, the last thing I just felt during worship, I just had such a sense that, that uh, if, if you're visiting and, and you're looking for a church to call home, whether it's this church or another church, that's not what matters to us. What matters to us is that you find a place that you can call home. Stop, stop living your life as a spiritual orphan. And the place that you're supposed to look for is a place where you are accepted by the people, but uncomfortable by the presence. Right, accepted by the people, but uncomfortable by the presence. You, you want to find a church where, where the people in the room accept you no matter who you are, what you're doing, where you're coming from, what your life is about. You should be accepted by the church, hands down. Right, Transformation comes later. Acceptance comes first. But you should feel uncomfortable in the presence of God, not rejected, but this feeling of God has more for me in my life. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for 50 years or five days, right? I want to be uncomfortable in his presence. And so I hope if you're looking for a church, you put that on your list for something that is a criteria. We are in a series entitled Open Heaven. And uh, we're going to be in this series this entire summer, uh, probably moving into the fall. And so I, I want to do a little bit of recap for the series. And then also I want to do a little recap for what we talked about specifically last week, because this week is really part two of last week's message within the Open Heaven series. If you're a note taker, we tend to move fast. We cover a lot of textual ground. And so I, that can frustrate you. The notes are online through the website, citylifeva.com. And then there's also so the uh, podcast of the sermon is on there as well. And so they're always up there the week after. So th this is, let me just, I want to do a little bit more of a recap than we normally do because the concept of an open heaven for many people, it's just unfamiliar. And so this is a quote by Pastor Bill Johnson. It says, an open heaven is where there's a nearness of heaven to earth. There's a sense of presence. There's a sense of clarity of thought, of heart and mind that is unusual 
People think for themselves within an open heaven and aren't influenced by the spirit of the day. There's a, a, a popular word called the zeitgeist, which means that you're, you can get caught up in just the, the thought of the day. And, and, and when, you're, when you experience an open heaven or when, when an open heaven experience has become a normative experience in your life, you, you tend to have a greater sense of clarity, not clouded by secularism, but what God would want you to think the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So it's one of the things that God is championing in recent years, this is still Bill Johnson's quote, is that the Spirit of God is in us for our sake, but he comes upon us to be an impact for eternity. He's in us for our sake, right? That's grace, salvation, heaven bound, but he comes upon us supernaturally to empower us so that we can have an impact on other people's lives for eternity. The Holy Spirit is in us, but he comes upon us so that we can alter the environment. It's to help us operate in power so that the people that we serve are impacted for eternity and that's the mandate. We see Jesus operating in that where the spirit of God came upon him in the form of a dove and remained. Jesus was born into this world fully God. He had all of the spirit of God in him at his birth, but yet still we see it as baptism the Holy Spirit came upon him. It's not a contradiction, it's a revelation. Is that when you make a vow of devotion to Christ, all of the spirit of God is lives inside of you, but there are still times in our lives where we need the Spirit of God to come upon us to empower us supernaturally to have an impact. Last week, we talked about Luke chapter 9. It's the story of the Mount of Transfiguration, and the geography is instructive. The mountain is representative of open heaven experiences, and then the valley is representative of our everyday life. We talked about how what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration is not so important as much as the feeling that it created in Peter, James, and John. They had this sense of, let's stay here. They had a sense of, I don't want to leave. One of the ways that you know that you're having an open heaven encounter with the presence of God is that you really want to stay there longer. You know that you're having an open heaven experience when you have a sense of being supernaturally empowered to go back into your everyday life. You know that you're having a supernatural uh, uh, open heaven experience is when you have a sense of clarity of thought like what we already talked about. We want to be a church where every Saturday that you come with that expectation that there's an open heaven that's waiting for you here and that you have an encounter with the Spirit of God. Come on, that makes you a little uncomfortable. Last week I shared with you, I believe one of the reasons there's such a disconnect for many of us between our open heaven moments and our labor in the valley, it's because we are physically and emotionally exhausted. I shared with you that as I look back over my own life, moments when I knew God wanted me to minister to someone, encourage them, engage them in some way, and didn't, often it was because I just didn't have the emotional or physical energy necessary. For some of you, that's what's happening to you in your home, in your marriage, in your parenting. Not because you don't encounter God. Not because you don't encounter when you gather and worship like this. Not because you don't encounter him in your own personal times of worship and prayer and studying God's word. But it's because you come out of that place. You went into that place so emotionally and physically exhausted you come out just the same. So last week, I began to talk with you about the four kinds of rest that we teach on every year here at the City Life Church. We find them in Hebrews 4. There's paternal rest, there's purposeful rest, there's perpetual rest, and there's physical rest. If all that's new for you, then you gotta listen to the sermon from last week. But physical rest is the one that we're kind of dialing in on for this week. We got into it a little bit last week, and then we're gonna pick up with it 
again tonight. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Genesis 28. Genesis 28. I was talking with Dave at the end of the service. If you remember, we prayed for Dave and Kelly at the end of the service. After the service, we were talking about Genesis 28. And so when I got back to the office on Tuesday, I was looking at my list of all the open heaven uh, encounters that I wanted to cover in the series. And that was on there. So all right, we're going to do it this week. Genesis 28, 10 through 17, and then I love how it fits exactly into this idea of rest. I love that there's an open heaven experience that someone has while they're taking a nap. Come on. Jesus. Preach. Snap, snap, snaps. If you don't know what that means, come talk to one of these people up here, these younger, younger folks. Why is he snapping up there? Genesis 28, 10, meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran, and at sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp, and he stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep, and as he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the heaven, from, from the earth up to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. Now, let me stop here. There's a slide, I think, that's going to pop up for us here. This is a a famous painting of Jacob's dream. And can we just agree that when we get to heaven, if angels look like that, I'm going to be terribly disappointed. (laughs) Right? Because I don't know about you, but in my Bible, when angels come, people are terrified. You know, what, you know what the most common command in the Bible is? I kid you not. The most common, the most repeated command in the Bible is fear not. Yeah, it is. And you know why? It's because when you see an angel, it's scary. There's nothing scary about this right here. Because right? if they look like this, then we're going to go find all those people that we read about in the Bible and go, what's wrong with you? What's scary about that? At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. And the ground that you are lying on, come on, belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west and the east, the north and the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything that I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. That's why for the rest of the Bible, that place is called Bethel or Bethel, which means the house of God. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. Love that part. But he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place is this. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. Now, part of the reason why we're going to each week talk about one of these open heaven experiences, because I think we have a tendency when we're looking for our own open heaven experiences that we're looking for their experience, but we're not supposed to look for their experience specifically because God made himself known to Jacob because of his calling on his life. Just like we talked about for Peter, James, and John last week, he, he, he did things on that mountain for them specifically, the question is, what about this experience translates to us? 
And the first thing I think that we see with an open heaven is that God's presence is unmistakable. Right? Right here. It's unmistakable. Meaning that when you find yourself in the presence of God, if you leave that and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know if it was or if it wasn't, I'm not sure, then it wasn't. Because when you're in his presence, you're going to know it. Even if you've never been in church, even if you've never read anything about this book, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says that God has put eternity in the heart of every person. There is something inside of you that knows that when you have stepped into the presence of your creator, his presence is unmistakable. I want to be the kind of church that creates an expectation in you that there are unmistakable moments that are waiting for you all throughout your future when you find yourself in the presence of God. So that when you leave that place, you're not wondering about whether or not it was God, but let all your curiosity rest with the awesome adventure that's waiting for you in the valley of your life. His presence is unmistakable. His love is unconditional. His love is unconditional. Let me just qualify for that minute. His love is unconditional, but that does not mean that life is inconsequential. There are consequences in this life. The law of reaping and sowing is still a real thing. Even though God loves us, sometimes he punishes us. The Bible talks about he chastens those that he loves. He never stops loving us. Just like if you're a parent, you know that there are times when you have to discipline your children. It doesn't mean that you stop loving them. I think that we misunderstand because we've been mistaught that this concept and this idea of God's love being unconditional, we have a tendency to attach the unconditional onto our behavior as opposed to where it belongs, which is with God's character. God's love is unconditional, not because we have the freedom to do whatever we want, but because God's love is based on who he, he is and not who we are. I love that in this story, God speaks this incredible blessing and promise over Jacob's life when really at this point in the Bible, Jacob might be the worst person that we've ever read about. Can we agree on that? Uh, you know, finally, right? Finally, Cain is like, whoo, somebody came along worse than me, right? Murdered my brother. At least I didn't do what Jacob did. Stole from my brother, lied to my father on his deathbed. Well, let's just say his mother even helped him do it, right? That is the one dysfunctional family right there. They would have their own reality TV show if they were in 2018 right here. This guy is on the run to Haran because his brother wants to murder him because of the deception that he has unleashed in his family. Is there a part of you like me that says, why isn't this story coming to Esau? Right? Why isn't it the one who has suffered such a terrible injustice, why isn't it that this is coming to him? God's love is unconditional. I'm sharing, I'm talking about that tonight because I know that some of you, you come in here week after week and for some of you, you know that there is a threshold that, that's waiting for you to step into on the inside during worship and you would experience his presence like you see many other people in this room, but you don't do it because you feel like you don't deserve it. You don't do it because you, you're thinking about what your plans are after church. You don't do it because you think about what your plans were last night. And what I would say to you is the open heaven and the experience that God wants you to have with him has nothing to do with your lifestyle. 
Does God wanna change our lifestyle sometimes? You better believe he does. Are there consequences to our actions in life? You better believe there is. Read the book of Proverbs. I'm in the book of Proverbs right now. But the open heaven is just your creator wanting to fill you up with his love because that's how special you are to him. His love is unconditional, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. Listen to me. He's patient with our mistakes because he has a hope for our purpose. He's patient with our mistakes because he has a hope for our purpose. It's not that God doesn't care about all the terrible things that Jacob did. And if you read the rest of the story of Jacob's life, you know that he experienced reciprocity in some terrible ways. We reap what we sow. God is patient though with us, even when we're running from him like Jonah was because he has a hope for the purpose that he's planned for us. And can I just tell you, you will not find the courage and the ability and the sense of being empowered by God to go out and walk in the purpose that God has a hope for you unless you're willing to step into open heaven moments. His presence is unmistakable. His love is unconditional. And this last one here, his location is unremarkable. It's unremarkable. For some of you, you you don't have as many open heaven experiences as you could because you think you gotta be in a place that looks like this for it to happen. There's gotta be stained glass or chandeliers or something religious. There's gotta be something that that, that looks and feels Christian in order for me to experience God's. Have you noticed that most all of the open heaven stories in the Bible as you're gonna find as we look, do some of them happen in the temple? Sure they do. Do some of them happen in religious settings? Sure they do. But most of them, it's just in unremarkable places. We know this place is Bethel now is the house of God, but it got named that when it was still just a place where you could only find a rock for a pillow in the desert. God can open up a heaven over top of you anywhere that you are. Anywhere that you are. It does not matter to him. I was joking with Pastor David earlier this week that when the Pokemon phenomenon was taking place, right? You got to go where your phone's leading you to find the certain things that you're supposed to find. Tony's got his Pokemon t-shirt on tonight. Nice work. He didn't even know he's going to be part of the sermon. Sometimes I think that's how we treat God, right? I got to find him in a certain place. Me? Oh, he's, no, somebody already got him right? I got somebody beat me to it, right? I'll never forget a couple of years ago for camp, you know, they got the cell phone rule, not allowed to take your cell phone with you. We got a report back from our kids when they returned about the cell phone. How how did that go? They said, oh, it was completely, everybody had their cell phones, even the leaders. (laughs) What do you mean? It's like, man, there was all kinds of Pokemon, whatever they're called at that camp, Even leaders running around, right, with their phone, looking for the Pokemon. If that's you, I hope you look for God just like that. Just like that. And somebody else can't take your portion. Nobody else can beat you to it. And he can encounter you wherever you are 
Because what makes the open heaven an open heaven is you. It's you. It's because he loves you with an indescribable love. It's because he has a hope for your purpose. He's got forgiveness for your past. He's got power to transform you, to change you out of whatever things are so entwined in your life that you can't fathom ever being separated from them. And he has this ability to pull them apart so that you can become the person that you've been called and created to be. But just like last week, so it is again, we're talking about it this week, that you can have all the open heaven moments in your life that are humanly possible, that God has ordained for you. But if you're not taking care of your body and taking care of your emotional well-being, you're going to be worn out in the place that God wants you to minister So let's talk a little bit more about this physical rest. Because we want to not just be a church that inspires you to believe for open heavens. We want to be a church that challenges you so that you go into them rested so that when you come out of them, you're ready. So what if in February, when we do our annual church business meeting where we vote on elders and things of that matter, those matters, What if we presented to you this coming February a husband and wife to be new elders at the City Life Church and then I got up and I said, let me read you the nine things that describe this person. They worship other gods and they actively participate in other religions. You tell me at what point are you voting no. That's what I'm asking. For some of you, you've already gotten up and walked out, right? I knew those Saturday church people couldn't be trusted. (laughs) Number two, they make idols in their garage and they pray for them and they sell them on let go and offer up to make a little extra money. (laughs) Scotty Moriarty said, were you at Costco today? I said, yeah. He said, were you shopping? I was like, no, I was selling an iPhone and now it's a public place to meet for offer up. So I'm just saying. (laughs) I wasn't selling idols though. Okay, maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> Number three, speak with profanity, especially using God and Jesus as curse words. At what point are you voting no? Just asking. They speak disrespectfully of their parents and speak of them publicly in a derogatory way. Openly endorse murder out of vengeance and anger as being appropriate. They practice an open marriage relationship with their spouse. They believe that dishonesty for personal gain is just the natural part of life. They believe that giving false testimony was okay because most people are guilty of something anyway. And number nine, that envying your neighbor's possessions is a great way to motivate yourself to get more stuff. Anybody voting yes for that person? Right, I'm just saying if they can't get, they get one of those wrong, they're not gonna be a leader here at the City Life Church. Now, you might come into the church and maybe all nine of these things describe you. Come on, then you're accepted. And then we're going to take you on a journey of discipleship that leads to transformation. There's a different standard for leaders. You're tracking with me? But if people are going to be called a leader, then they shouldn't be called by these things. Where, these nine come from the what? Yeah, how many commandments? Ten. How, how many? Ten. Yeah, Ten. What if we were voting on an elder and I said to you, hey, these are great leaders. These are great leaders. 
They don't really have a practice of a, of a weekly Sabbath in their life, but man is the character of Christ powerful in them. I think most of us would say, eh, it's all right. But what happened to us as a church? What, where, how is it that Christianity looks at nine and says, those are, those are, those are really bad. But yet we look at this one and we go, eh, it's okay. I mean, rest is important. Do, do you see rest and the biblical mandate for rest the same way that you see adultery? Do you see rest in the biblical mandate for rest the same way that you see bearing false witness? Do, do you see rest the same way that when you're watching television and somebody says blankety blank 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 and your kids are in there and they're little and, and you can't find the remote control fast enough? Right? Celeste, that happened to them today, apparently. <laughs> That's so great. You know what I'm talking about. But rest. Rest. Can, I, can we just agree that God put it with the other nine for a reason? And he put it with the other nine because he knew sovereignly where society would one day head and he's trying to make sure that it finds its way back into a place of holiness that's squarely a part of Christianity and should have never left. Now you might say, well, Fred, I have always been taught that because of Jesus when he came, that's part of what Hebrews 4 is about, right? That's what churches teach because they want to overwork you. It's self-serving and it's wrong. If Jesus and us being delivered from the law, and we believe that, meant walking away from some things, and we believe it does, you cannot find a Christian church anywhere that is true that would say to you that the other nine commandments are not expected of us anymore because of Jesus. If anything, it's just the opposite. It's because of Jesus I'm inspired all the more to walk away from these nine things. And I have an expectation because of who the Holy Spirit is inside of me that I find the, the strength of character to resist the temptation. But when it comes to rest, for many of us, we're just swept away into the debauchery of forsaking one of the greatest gifts that God gave the world. Have you ever stopped to think about the Garden of Eden? And some of the things that made it perfect? Because the idea of a Sabbath and a day of rest once a week was part of the world when it was perfect. The Sabbath was not instituted because of the fall of man. It was a part of the human experience back when it was untouched by sin. There are a few things that you can do in your life to taste of Eden, but having a Sabbath every week is one of them. We can never go back to what it was, but there are pieces, morsels that we can taste of. 
It's one of the reasons why the message of this church is heaven now, heaven forever, lowercase h, capital H. We can't have all of what heaven is going to be and all of what Eden was, but there are pieces of it here and now that are waiting for us. And the Sabbath is one of the gateways into experiencing a little bit of heaven on earth. And part of what that Sabbath is supposed to give to you, listen to me, this is why it's so important to God, is so that we will be physically and emotionally whole and healthy so that when these open heaven experiences come, we come off of the mountain, down into the valley of the human experience, interacting with the world that we live in, empowered by God to make a difference. And if you find yourself coming out of these open heavens and back into the valley and you just feel frail and fragile, there could be lots of reasons for that. We talked about that last week. But for one of them, it could simply just be that you're worn out. And re-engaging the practice of giving yourself the rest that you are biologically created to need could be the one thing that turns the tide of your life. Exodus 20, 8 through 11, before we read this verse, I want to give you these three definitions. It's Shabbat, Kadash, and Nuach. These are Hebrew words. Shabbat is the word that translates in the English Bible, Sabbath. It means to repose, that is to desist from exertion. It means to cease. It means to celebrate. We're going to talk about that. Sabbath does not mean that you have to necessarily be sedentary that entire day. We're going to get to that. It means to leave, it means to put away or to put down, to make, to rest, to rid, to still, to take away. Kadash is the word that so often translates in the Old Testament as the word holy. So, so many times when you'll, you'll, write, you'll, you'll, you'll come across something in the Old Testament that says holy, 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 it's, it's because the Hebrew language doesn't have modifiers like we have, right? We, we might say it's very holy, but they don't have words like very. And so to, for emphasis, they say it more than once, right? So it's holy, it's holy, holy, or holy, holy, holy. When you read that in the Bible, they're saying kadash, kadash, kadash. It means to be clean, either ceremonially or morally in the context of the Mosaic law. But listen to this. It means to appoint something. It means to bid, consecrate, dedicate, hallowed, holy, prepare, proclaim, purify, sanctify. It means sacred. Then one of my favorite Hebrew words is nuach. It means to rest. It means to be at rest. It means to settle down, to stay, to dwell. Comfortable, convenient, and easygoing. It just feels good saying those words, doesn't it? <laughs> Exodus 28 through 11. Remember to observe the Shabbat day by keeping it kadash. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Shabbat day, a rest that is dedicated to the Lord your God. And on that day, no one in your household may do any work. That includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, any foreigners that live among you. For six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he knew That is why the Lord blessed the Shabbat day and set it apart as Kadash. This week, for some of you, what you need to do is you need to write this verse down copy it out of your Bible, and then you need to take this definition, listen to me, and, and where it says Shabbat, then, then write out the entire definition. You're tracking with me what I'm asking you to do? 
Take the word that correlates and instead of being the word, put the entire definition in there and read that every day. If I were a doctor, I would write that for you as a prescription. For some of you, if you would just walk in this, I'm telling you, it would revolutionize your life. I'm t- it would revolutionize your life. One of the reasons why you're always fighting with your spouse is not because you're a bad person, it's you're just tired. One of the reasons why your children are constantly exasperated with you, it's not because you're a bad person, it's because you're worn out. For some of you, the tears just keep coming and you can't quite seem to find that sense of joy that you once had. And and part of it's just because you're you're tired. You're tired. God made these bodies and he made them chemically so they have to restart once a week. It's by design. And you can resist that if you want to, but you're working against the order of the universe. And I'm just telling you, that's called swimming upstream. This isn't just for us people. It's for the world. Christianity in so many ways, it's lost its witness. And can I just tell you, this is one of the biggest ones. It's one of the biggest ways that we've lost our witness in the world. Karl Barth, one of the great theologians of our day says, let things take their course with particular freedom distinct from weekday practice to as much or as little as the day brings. Listen to this. The day should be free from compulsion. When's the last time some of you have had a day that was free from compulsion? Hmm. I'm not going to go there for the sake of time, but if you're a note taker or you download these notes, the PDF off the website, it's Luke 6, 1 through 11. It's the great conversation that Jesus had with the religious leaders of his day, challenging them in their understanding of the Sabbath. They wanted it to be rule-based, forgetting that it's it's rest-based. It's not rule-based, it's rest-based. They attached so many rules to the Sabbath in Jesus's day that people were so worn out just trying to not break the rule that that they couldn't wait for the Sabbath to be over so they could go back to the regular day. God doesn't want you to be worn out. It's supposed to be a gift. Let me give you these eight steps. Not gonna take long. I'm just gonna give them to you. For some of you, you gotta walk through these eight. You gotta walk through them. For some of you, you can't wake up tomorrow and and say, I'm gonna have a a Sabbath one day every week for the rest of my life. You're you're, you're not gonna make it. It's, It's too big of a bite. You gotta take small steps. You with me? Small steps. The first one is pray. For some of you, if you don't have a weekly Sabbath, you gotta start by praying. You gotta start by saying, God, I need your help. I, I'm not gonna do this. You, you will, we will never do the things that God wants us to do transformationally in our lives sh- through sheer act of our will. You gotta engage your will. You gotta try. There's things that you're gonna have to do. We're gonna talk about some of these things in this list, but you have got, you've got, you're dependent upon the spirit of God in your life. Pray. He's going to give you insight. He's going to help you. You might say, Fred, you don't know what you're asking of, of me right now. I didn't write this. I'm just, I'm just the messenger here, right? But what I do know this is that God doesn't ask things of us that he's not going to show us how to get there, right? So you might say, Fred, my life is so busy that what you're asking me is impossible. Then I would say that's why step one is pray. God will help you figure it out. Number two, you have to invest. If you're going to have a true practice of rest, especially if you are a family, which you are a family if you are married, and then when you have kids, they add to your family, right? 
So you are a family if you are married, and then if you are a family with kids, you have to invest. You, you have to have a budget, and if you're not working off of a budget, that's a, another sermon for another time. But you should be. And in your budget, there should be money that is set aside for rest. You might say, well, naps don't cost anything, but it's not just about napping, it's about rejuvenating. And different people rejuvenate in different ways. We're going to get to that. You got to have some money that's set aside for activities and places that you can go. It doesn't have to be a lot of money. You don't have to be a millionaire in order to practice this thing, but just have a little something in there. Sonics is half price after 8 p.m., I'm just telling you. (laughs) Praise the name. Me and my daughter go there and we get cherry slushy, right? Both of us a small three and three dollars and thirty-nine cents. If you don't have three dollars and thirty-nine cents, I'll give you three dollars and thirty-nine cents so you can go to Sonics. I'll meet you there tonight after eight. After a half price, I'm just saying. All right. Number three, protect. Protect. Mark 6, 4, I don't have that up there. It's, it's the story in the Bible where, where, where Jesus as a prophet is never welcomed in his own town. The principle there is that it's hard to break free from the expectations that other people have of us. When you, it's hard to break free from a reputation. It is. People want you to always be the person they've always known you to be. And if you're one of these people that you're just go, 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 then everybody in the world expects you to go, 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 go. And so it means that you're going to have to learn how to say no to some people. As you as a family begin to figure this thing out, people are going to be expecting you to go do this and go here and go there. And you're going to have to say, no, I can't can't do it that day. What about this day? Why why can't you do it that day? Because that's that's going to be a day of rest for our family. You got to protect it. You got to protect it. Because the world will take it from you. You got to have boundaries. Flexibility. Listen to me. It does not have to be on any particular day of the week. What are you talking about? You're already a cult for having church on Saturday and now you're saying the Sabbath isn't on Sunday? For some of you just, right? As soon as we pray, you're slipping out the back. The Sabbath day, traditionally in the Jewish calendar is Saturday. The church historically meets on Sunday morning because that's called the Lord's Day because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. The early church, most of them were Jewish. They practiced the Sabbath on Saturday, but they still gathered for worship on Sunday because that's the day that Jesus rose. And so over time, Christianity tried to simplify. Listen, whenever we try to simplify truth, we make it more complicated. Church history, at some point, people began to realize they can't, they can't give two days. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to make the Lord's Day, the Sabbath day, because that's going to make it easier for people. When, when really, they were just continuing to walk in the same legalism that Jesus set us free from. The Sabbath, it doesn't matter what day it is. Should we celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday? Yes, we should. But why can't we celebrate it with rest? You don't have to celebrate it with worship because you can do that on any day. We celebrate the resurrection of Christ here at this church on Sunday morning through rest and relationships. And can I just tell you, those pathways are just as important to God as gathering and scripture and prayer and worship. 
You gotta be flexible. For some of you, your Sabbath might start at lunch on one day and end at lunch on the other day. It might start at 11 at one day and go to 11 the other day. It might not be a typical day because you might not have a typical schedule. Hey, listen to this. Your Sabbath might move around because you're on shift work. You might be in the military. I'm not saying that this is necessarily going to be easy. What I'm saying is find a way. Your Sabbath might have to move all over the place because your schedule moves all over the place. But don't give up on the Sabbath because your routine is complicated. Sabbath is about family. Guys, I make this joke every year. Don't wake up tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. and say, honey, I'll be back around 4. Going to play golf. It's, it's my Sabbath. Right? right? Just pop him right in the nose right there. Right? <laughs> Sabbath isn't about escaping your family. Right? It's about celebrating your family. Doesn't mean you have to be legalistic. It might be that you guys agree that on certain days that everybody goes and does their own thing. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm just saying that your priority should be being together and being apart should be the exception. Be together. If all of this is new for you, then reach out to other people and hear their story. If all of this is new for you, people that have been a part of this church for any amount of time, they're going to tell you that this, this, this stuff right here has revolutionized their lives. There are people in this room, their marriages were saved through this practice right here. Their relationships with their kids are being restored because it's, for some, behavioral problems with their kids are turning a corner because of this right here. Number seven, you got to give yourself grace. For some of you, this, this is a real thing, right? God made you a ball of chemicals. He did. We talked about that last week too with depression and mental challenges and things of that nature. But part of this idea of who we are as chemicals means that for some of you, you don't practice rest because you are addicted to adrenaline. You are. It's a real, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Listen to me. Some of you, you're going you're gonna to practice a Sabbath. I'm telling you. And you're going to wake up the next day and you're going to be depressed. And the reason you're going to be depressed is because your body is addicted to this adrenaline of a pace. And it's wearing you out. And there's a time, it's like you, it's like you have to go through withdrawal. I'm, I'm not kidding. For some of you, you, you will go through withdrawal from the pace of your life before you break into the benefit of the rest that you're supposed to have. You gotta give yourself some grace. It's gonna take some time if that's your personality. And the last one is this, rest. Rest. Which means that ultimately the measure of the Sabbath is the day after, do you feel rejuvenated and refreshed? That's the measure. It's why for some of you, being sedentary, right, is not necessarily what's going to rejuvenate you. For some of you, you need to be sedentary. For some of you, you do need to take a nap. For some of you, you do need to slow down. But for some of you, you don't need to necessarily take a nap. You just need to be active doing different things that rejuvenate your soul. Because the physical rest isn't just about the physical body. It's also about the cryptos anthropos cardia that Peter talks about, the hidden person of the heart. For some of you, you're emotionally exhausted like we talked about last week. For some of you, it's taking a walk. It's taking a day trip with your family. For some of you, it's going to Bush Gardens. 
For some of you, it's launching your boat on the Chickahominy, praise the Lord, and doing some wake surfing with your teenagers. You may be sedentary, you may be active, just be rested. I'm gonna invite the band to come back up to close with a song. Mark 2, 27. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. This verse has been misused throughout history to give you and I permission to not do what you and I just talked about. That's one of the reasons why, Jesus, why God made it part of the Ten Commandments. See, because people say, well, Fred, Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath, and so it's really my choice. Well, all of Christianity is your choice. God doesn't force any of it on you. We, we've, we've, we've morphed into this belief and this idea that if it's a gift from God, I'm free to say no. Can we just agree that anything that God wants to give you as a gift, you have the right to say no, but it's never a good decision. And it will always be with consequence. Ephesians 2, 8. Every good Baptist in this room knows this first. We're saved by grace. We're saved by grace. It's a gift from God, not of works that no man can boast. Can we just agree that salvation is a gift? But if you turn it down, there's consequences that are eternal. The Sabbath is an incredible gift that in the beginning of time, when the engineer who orchestrated all the beauty and experience of this earthly realm wanted to make it exactly what it needed to be because he always has our best interest at heart, he said, let's make it so that there's a rest that they come to once every seven days. It's one of the most precious gifts of the human experience. And for some of you, you just gotta take it into your hands and unbox it and make it part of your life. Stand with me. Father, I pray for the people that are here tonight who've walked into this room and they're worn out. Maybe in their body and in their soul. Just exhausted. I pray that you would give them a foretaste even now. In this open heaven moment. Of the peace and the rest that's waiting for them in the Sabbath. The Shabbat that is Kadash. So that they can have a day that is nuah, Comfortable, convenient and easy going. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship together.